Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Yesterday we saw four sons born to Jacob by his wife Leah. Today we will see eight more children with one yet to come. Genesis chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I. For women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May Yahweh add to me another son. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that Yahweh has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and Yahweh has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. 
If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. I know I've said it before in our study of Genesis, but who needs soap operas? This is drama to the extreme all around Jacob in the text today, both in his home, but also in his work. It's everywhere. So our text starts out with Rachel's jealousy as she recognizes that she has been barren and she is losing ground, she believes, to her sister, who is bearing four sons already at this point, to Jacob. And so she demands of her husband that he give her children or she will die. There's an irony in that because she actually dies in childbirth later on in Scripture, giving birth to Benjamin, the youngest of Jacob's sons, the twelfth and final of his sons. Now, Jacob is rightly going to reject that and say, am I in the place of God? This is a good statement. He recognizes that only God is able to open and close the womb. Her response, she's going to do what Jacob's grandmother did. She is going to act like Sarah, taking her female slave and giving her to her husband that he may have a son by the slave. And so as Abraham took Hagar as his wife and had a son by her, Ishmael, so Jacob takes Bilhah as his wife and has a son, multiple, two, by her as well family tree. Jacob should have rejected this, recognizing how much jealousy was playing into all of this, but again, he does not. It could be he doesn't recognize the jealousy. It could be that he doesn't see the evil in that. It could also be that he doesn't care and that he'd rather have another wife. Don't really know. The text doesn't specify for us here, but he accepts her offer, takes Bilhah and has a son by Bilhah, Rachel names this boy Dan, which comes from the Hebrew verb to judge, and recognizes that God has judged her. In other words, she believes that 
God has viewed between Leah and Rachel and chosen Rachel as being more righteous. That certainly would not be correct, but that's her view, and that's why she names him Dan. Bilhah has a second son. They name him, Rachel names him Naphtali. Notice Rachel's naming the kids. There's a hierarchy here among the wives of Jacob, that even though Bilhah is Jacob's wife, even though Bilhah is the mother, Rachel still gives the name. She is a higher status wife. Bilhah will later in chapter 35 finally be called concubine. That word is not used of her in this text here, but that's a picture of a lesser wife. So Jacob ends up with four wives in this text. Two higher, two lower, and authority, rank. Rachel names him Naphtali, which is from the Hebrew word wrestlings, because she has believed herself to have wrestled with Leah and won. She's still actually behind in the count, by the way. I shouldn't taunt her, should I? When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she did the same thing. This is a competition, a back and forth, as though it matters who gives Jacob the most sons. And so she gives Zilpah to Jacob, and once again, Jacob does not resist it. He does not oppose it. Like Abraham, he takes the slave and makes her his wife. She will also bear him two sons. Leah names the first Gad, which is from the Hebrew word for fortune or luck, and she names the second Asher, which is from Hebrew for fortune or happy. We see the happy phrase Leah uses a couple of times. Verse 14, we're mentioned uh, a time here where Reuben is out and he finds mandrakes in the field. What's the deal with these mandrakes? Why Why are Rachel and Leah going to fight over, squabble over them? Well, the, the Hebrew word refers to the Atropa Mandagora. I don't know if I said that right. A-T-R-O-P-A-M-A-N-D-A-G-O-R-A. Um, a specific plant, that's its Latin name, that has been used for various purposes over the years, historically speaking. Medicinal herb has been one of its purposes, and that includes the belief that maybe perhaps it would open the womb, which is possible here as an intent. Also an aphrodisiac, that is something that helps to arouse sexual desire. And third, it is part of witchcraft rituals. So what's happening here? Do Leah and Rachel, at this point, both of them believing their wombs to be closed, do they want it for its medicinal purpose, thinking that maybe using this would open their womb? Do they want it for its aphrodisiac purpose, that is, that it would make their husband Jacob desire them more? Or do they want it for the witchcraft ritual side of things, seeking pagan worship, seeking false gods, the power of evil, in order to possibly bring about the change in their body that they hope for, the ability to open the womb? The text doesn't specify, but it's It's intriguing to wrestle with. Again, we're going to see Laban talk about divination. We're going to see Rachel steal his household gods. We know there's pagan worship in this family. So that could be something here already. So Leah Leah gets angry with Rachel for asking for some of the mandrakes. Claims, is it a small matter you have taken away my husband? In fairness, who took whose husband? 
mean, technically she's right because she married him first. But she was pledged, Rachel was pledged to be married to Jacob before Leah was. So who stole whose husband? Well, that's a, quite a hard question to actually answer. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Is it too little a thing that you did this that you'll do this too? Shows a great value in these mandrakes. This is possibly the height of the fighting between these two sisters of the drama, the pinnacle of that, that they end up bartering sex with their husband for earthly goods. I don't think we can quite call all of this prostitution where you sell your body for money. Um, it's, it's similar, but this is within a marriage. So I don't know that that phrase applies here. Anyway, Rachel agrees to allow Jacob to sleep with Leah that night. You can imagine he probably slept with Rachel more often than not because of her beauty. And so Leah goes out to Jacob as he's coming in from, from working that day, and she says, you must come in to me. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And the Holy Scriptures don't bother to respond. Like, there's no response of Jacob noted. He just does it. He goes along with the plans of these sisters. And God opens Leah's womb, and she has another son. She names him Issachar, which in Hebrew is, there is wages. Because she believes that God has rewarded her for giving her servant to her husband. God is showing her favor for having given Zilpah to Jacob as another wife. Not sure that perspective is all that faithful or correct, but it is her perspective and she's sharing it here. And it's simply recorded for us by Moses. She conceives and has another son, this time naming him Zebulun, which is from the Hebrew word honor, because she believes now her husband will honor her. That hasn't really happened in the past, but she's still hoping for it. And lastly, she's going to bear a daughter named Dinah. Uh, Dinah, like Dan, is from that same Hebrew word judge. God then remembers Rachel, listens to her, opens her womb. She has a son by the name of Joseph, which is Hebrew for he will add to or he will do again. Two notes on her. First, God has taken away my reproach. She recognizes what most of history has, that barrenness is a curse. Americans actually long for barrenness. They're trying not to have kids by any, any measure. But historically speaking, that's been seen as, as wicked. Um, and having children has been seen as the gift, the good thing. So Rachel rejoicing in that. However, instead of being thankful and content, she names her firstborn son, God will do it again. One is not enough, she wants more. It's a dangerous thing. All right, before we move into the next section then, a couple of things you can talk about with your family. What do you know about the boys? Set the stage for the chapters to come. What do you know about these sons? Who are they? What do they do? Talk about some of the stories you might remember about each of them. Which of these children will Jesus come from? Because this is the part, point of all of this. God is going to work through all of this to continue to bring about the promised Savior. From back in chapter 3, repeated to Abraham the promises is starting in chapter 12. 
Jesus will come from Judah's tree, from Judah's family, the fourth-born son. Uh, something to talk about with the overall theme of the entire chapter, as well as the section coming up, how does God work through all of this sin to continue to bring about his purpose? He works through the sins of Jacob marrying all these women and having all these sons amidst all this jealousy and fighting and drama and bickering and favoritism and things that aren't good. He works through all of it anyway to create a new nation, a holy people, 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament church, the Old Testament people of God. And the wealth coming in the next section, he works through that too, that sinful fighting between Jacob and Laban, he works through it to bring about a nation, a kingdom. They needed wealth to build their kingdom, and the Lord provides it, even if it's not in a good way. The Lord allows Jacob to prosper, even doing evil, because the Lord is going to work through this for good. And that's the way it is, and we're thankful for it throughout history, that sinners continue to sin. There's sin and evil everywhere, and yet the Lord has continued to work generation to generation through all of it. The Lord continues to work to bring about his good purposes. In the family tree of Jesus Christ, every person listed there is a sinner. There's a prostitute in the list. But God forgives us sinners, and he works through us anyway to bring about good for his people. As soon as Rachel had bore Joseph, this gives us a tough timeline here. This is only seven years in. Jacob is going to seek to leave and go home now. He'll end up working another six years for his uncle Laban. But that means over the course of the seven years of marriage, beginning with Leah, all 12 of these children have been born. Now, you could go easily one a year, Leah having a child every one of those first four years, and Bilhah also having a child in the fourth year, and then Bilhah and Zilpah both having children in the fifth year, Zilpah and Leah in the fifth, sixth year, sorry, losing track here, and then it would be Leah and Rachel in the seventh year, but then you still have one more of Leah. At some point or another, as you try and lay them all out there, one of the wives had to have had two children in the same calendar year. So you think like a child in January and a child in December or something like this to make it all play out well. It's possible, and this is what the scriptures teach, so it's what we believe. It's just a really tight timeline. The Lord has blessed this household with many children, though, and children are a gift. All right, so Laban asks that Jacob remain. Jacob wants to go home. He wants to provide for his own family. He wants to start out their household well. He acknowledges that everything that he has touched, basically, as he works for his uncle has gone well, that God has blessed all that he has done. This is going to be similar to what's spoken of of, of Joseph, his son, uh, in chapter later in the chapters of the 30s as Joseph serves under Potiphar and so forth. Laban admits that he's practiced divination. That is the, the practice of worshiping pagan gods, seeking to communicate with the gods by various rituals, including taking various animal body parts and, and manipulating them in different ways and, and so forth. And this is wrong. 
Yahweh has forbidden it, but he does it anyway. So pagan worship involved in this house. The agreement for Jacob to stay and work, Laban offers him whatever he wants because he recognizes how great his household is blessed because Jacob is there and how wealthy he's becoming. So whatever you want, name it, I'll give it to you. Stay, please. Do more. God will bless me more. Jacob asks for all the not perfect sheep, all the ones that would be seen as blemished in the eyes of the people, not purebred, right? Laban, you get to keep all of the white sheep. I get all the ones that are spotted, speckled, striped, black, whatever. That's the picture. There's deceit already in both of their minds. Jacob already has a plan for how to work this to his favor, which we'll see happen. Laban already has a plan in his mind for how he can make this work to his favor, and we'll see that happen as well. So both of those plans in short, Laban takes immediately takes the the sheep and separates them. The ones that are that would be Jacob's, the spotted, speckled, and whatnot, he takes them away. He takes the the pure white ones, and he leaves the pure white ones in Jacob's care. That way they'll be blessed. That way they'll multiply. Things will go well. He takes the speckled, spotted ones that will be Jacob's ultimately. He puts them in the care of his own sons. We were not told up until this point that Leah and Rachel had brothers, but they do. Laban puts them in the care of his own children, and those boys will care for them. So Laban recognizing that uh, what Jacob touches will be better than what his sons touch. Some favoritism in that. But Laban's seeking to deceive, and so he puts a three days journey. Bible never tells us how long that is, but maybe 60 to 100, 120 miles would be a good estimate here. A long distance between the two separate flocks so that they cannot breed together, so that this cannot benefit Jacob. He's doing this to make it so that his flock will multiply and Jacob's will not prosper. Jacob, on the other hand, is going to take strips of wood, uh, branches of wood, and he's going to strip the bark off of them so that they're striped, and then he's going to put them in the water that the sheep eat from, or drink from, sorry. And by doing so, it is believed that the sheep will then produce speckled and spotted and striped. And the scripture reveals that it happens. The flocks bred in front of the sticks. The flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. A lot of ancient commentators say that this is God's hand, that this is God blessing Jacob in doing these things. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to lean towards the idea that that would be God blessing Jacob in his sin. God is blessing Jacob in spite of his sin, despite his sin. And so what we see here instead is perhaps the conventional wisdom of their day that this is what happened. And it's simply speaking, it's the way the scriptures describe it. I mean, again, reading verse 39, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped. The scriptures speak of it matter-of-factly. So I'm okay going with that. Uh, It's a little bit confusing. It's a little bit odd. uh, But Jacob is very intentional in this. When the stronger of the flock are breeding, he puts the sticks in. When the weaker of the flock are breeding, he doesn't put the sticks in. So the weak as they breed and produce new lambs, those are going to be Laban's, the weaker ones. When the strong produce new, those get to be Jacob's. Deceit on both parts. Jacob deceives Laban. Laban deceives Jacob. Not the first time of either. But God works in the midst of all of this. God provides for his people. And we're thankful because God works in the midst of all of this sin in our lives and provides for us.
If you want to have a, a family conversation, look at Luther's explanation of the seventh commandment. You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Is there any part of that that Jacob's doing? How can we do this for our neighbors? Those are good family conversations. But again, chief, primary, foremost, is recognizing that the Lord works even in the midst of sin for the good of his people. He is faithful, even though and even when we are not. Thanks be to God. Let us praise the Lord incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place. Jesus died.